Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today is Tuesday, May 5th. We are recording this on May 4th. So, Brett, may the 4th be with you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, great joke there. Yeah. Um, anyway, we have an interview with Brian Feroldi today, uh, writer for The Motley Fool, and he has some really interesting stuff that he's working on right now alongside um, some stock analysis that we go through. But before we get to that, we have our own stories. So what's yours? Uh, mine, it's not much of a news story, but there were the app downloads for the month of April. And since it's such a weird month, uh, just in all parts of the economy, I thought it would be interesting to see who is winning, uh, who is getting some acceleration in app downloads, and then who is kind of losing, you know, the Ubers, Lyfts, who are getting the slower uh, growth than they were in the uh, winter months. Okay. And then I'm going to be talking about the meat crisis that is upon us. Um, not, I mean, it's kind of progressed throughout this, so it wasn't, didn't necessarily just happen this last week. Um, but there's some news from this last week, so I'll talk about that. Uh, and then as always, we have current state of FinTwit, we have hot water, fuck, Mary kill, and our anecdotal evidence. Let's go. Welcome in. I'm going to kick things off with the meat crisis. Um, as you know, a lot of the stay-at-home orders still remain in effect in a lot of places. I think there's a few starting to open up, but um, due to this, meat consumption has increased because apparently people are like bigger meat eaters now that they're at home or maybe they're like stocking up so they're just buying more meat when they go. Yeah, a, um, little, a little surprising uh, that it's more because you would yeah. think if people like restaurants, you, when you go to a restaurant, a lot of people go there and get like a steak or something. So, yeah. Um, and so I only found a few numbers on the consumption side, but it said, um, according to a consumer report survey, 7% of Americans couldn't find any red meat and 6% couldn't find any poultry at their local grocery stores. So apparently Americans are stocking up on goods. And I've witnessed this as well. There's um, definitely sort of a meat shortage and there's a lot of people that are stocking up. I know a lot of grocery stores are beginning to regulate how much, like if you walk out with like four packages of chicken, you're like not, you know, they like limit you to two or whatever. So um, definitely there's some help there from the grocery store side, but a lot of this is due to outbreaks at meat packaging plants. So um, I'm, and I'm sure you've heard about this, and it's caused a lot of these plants to pause operations. A lot of them were pausing anyways, but now these outbreaks are causing them to completely shut down or dis like take a full day off to like disinfect the entire place. Um, so an analysis from USA Today reported that at least 4,400 workers had tested positive across 80 plants, forcing closures of 28 of them. And that's only 4,400 that spoke up or got tested. So there's probably more than that, but there's 4,400 confirmed tested positive cases at a Smithfield Foods pork processing plant in South Dakota. More than 850 employees tested positive, and at a Tyson Foods plant in Arkansas, more than 900 tested positive. So, when the coronavirus coronavirus hits these plants, it's spreading fast. Um, which I'm curious why that's happening, like why it's happening in a meat packaging plant. Well, I mean, it's probably because those places are pretty gross um, yeah. and, you know, tons of bodily uh, fluids from these animals and things like that because they're going through so many every day. 
and you're really tight with all those other workers that I think it's just a pretty gross place uh, to work with a lot of people in there. Yeah. And so as a result of these uh, packaging or production shutdowns, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, beef production was down nearly 25% year over year. So, I mean, kind of couple that with the increase in consumption, decrease in production, you're starting to see a big discrepancy there in the supply and demand. Last month, Tyson Foods went so far to take out a full page ad in the New York Times warning that the food supply chain is breaking. Um, And I could only find it on one website and I couldn't really read it, but they took out a full ad basically saying it sounded like a a call for help. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and so last Tuesday, President Trump signed an executive order declaring meat packing plants critical to keep open. With, and I believe he implemented the Defense Protection Act or whatever it is. Doesn't that seem like a waste of like mm. that act? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what's going on over there anymore. So who knows? Okay, here's another concern. All the buzz, like the more articles that are written about this, the more buzz that there's a shortage the higher consumption there's going to be because people are going to think that there's going to be less meat later on. So they're going to take more that they can. It's going to be like toilet paper all over again. Yeah. It's going to be like toilet paper. Although I guess the grocery stores could, uh, you know, raise prices uh, more than with toilet paper to try to curb that demand. But yeah, it'll be similar. Uh, People, I don't know. I don't eat meat myself. So like, it's kind of different. I haven't experienced this personally, but I think, it will be interesting to see what happens. Like if, I don't know, like what's the end game? How bad could something like this get? Um, And then on a stock side, I don't really know. Like the food companies just seem like something you want to stay away from. Anyone that's connected to the food supply chain, uh, you just want to, you want to be looking at that if they're in their, your portfolio at all. Yeah. So something that can, okay. I don't think it's the end of the world. It's not, I mean, it literally isn't the end of the world, but like it's why people don't, I mean, you can get your nutritional needs met without meat. I know a lot of people like it, but uh, yeah, hey, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, but yeah, I mean, it's not going to like kill anyone and toilet paper is probably more important. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like, so it's, it's going to be people like will probably be very upset. Um, I don't know. It's interesting though. What's going to happen with that? Do you think we're going to see more of these industry-specific crises like we saw with oil because we're starting to get these big ver- – like it's starting to vary from the typical supply and demand trends so much. Like we're starting to get these massive discrepancies where it's going either one of two ways. Like there's oversupply or there's less supply and more demand, that kind of thing. Do you think yeah. we're just- yeah, I mean, oil oil, and the meat ones are the easiest. It, it would be interesting to see if any other of the food um, industry gets hit, although – meat packing plants are the only ones that are more inside. So probably not maybe since we're using a lot more data inside and like the streaming video things, maybe there will be latency issues or, you know what I mean? I guess Um, the airplane industry as well. Uh, Airplane industry is gonna, yeah. I mean that whole thing, it's basically connects, you know, the air airlines and Boeing and then all the part manufacturers. I think a lot of those part, providers and suppliers they may have zero demand for the next three years and that could crush them i know someone like heiko uh, i think they're resupply parts so that might be a little different but any of those other suppliers uh they might be in a lot of trouble 
All right, let's get to your story. What do you have? Okay, this isn't any news. Uh, it's app downloads. Um, and I, the best app tracker out there as a person, uh, and if you're looking at any investment-related ones, is Sean Emery, who was a guest on our show this fall or last fall, sorry, in 2019. Uh, he compiles a lot of the data, and it's very interesting to see on his feed, and he posts like blog posts about it and compiles all the data. So he compiled some of the app data for April to see who was winning and to see who was losing during the coronavirus because a ton of things, basically every industry has changed. So I'll go first up, finance, our favorite one, uh, Cash App and Venmo strong saw strong month over month growth. Cash App, 4 million downloads, Venmo like 2.8 million. So it looks like Cash App is uh, winning again over Venmo, although both are growing. Robinhood decelerated, but Remember, this isn't, they're still growing their nominal base, but it's deceleration versus March. So they still had 1.5 million total downloads, but it was less than they had in March. And then Zelle, which is the big bank competitor for Venmo, for Venmo and Cash App, that got, uh, that was still a big laggard. So we did not see any momentum from that. And that's probably because I don't think they do much marketing on that at all, which seems like a really, they're missing an opportunity here. Uh, any surprises on the finance side? Yeah, I'm actually surprised that the peer-to-peer was so strong. I I would just figure that there's like a lot, uh, and I'm figuring that a lot of the peer-to-peer downloads are coming from younger generations, and mm-hmm. I guess maybe they're still going out. But I would guess that a lot of those like transaction are. I'm interested to see the transactional volume because well, that that'll, that'll definitely be down. This is just download data from the app stores. I know. I'm just thinking like who's – you'd think like the transaction volume and the downloads would kind of be tied together, but whatever. Eh. Yeah, a little shocking. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to go through all of them. Okay. Then we can discuss um, any surprises or anything, any thoughts on these. Uh, so next one is productivity. Uh, WebEx, uh, which is Cisco's Zoom competitor, saw 200% growth month over month, so they're getting some momentum. Zoom had strong growth, as you might expect, but Slack and Skype actually decelerated, while Teams, which is Microsoft's Slack competitor, accelerated. Uh, looks like maybe Microsoft is getting some momentum compared to Slack. I know there's a lot of good news coming out about Slack, but maybe it's not as, maybe it's more hype. Uh, what do you think uh, about those? And maybe there, okay, it's important to understand this, like you said, this is not nominal growth because slack might have had higher nominal growth in terms of like who joined but it's in terms of percentage basis so if teams was coming from a lower like customer base it might look better than it really was uh teams but uh teams did have a higher nominal one as well they're actually top 10 in overall app store downloads so i think they're they're doing for whatever they did in april uh it was it went really really well Okay, so random thesis then is that Teams was mostly used website-wise, like used in a company on a computer, whereas Slack already had a fair amount of people using it mobily. So I'm curious if maybe they had to add it, like a lot of the Teams members had to add it as they went virtual. Okay, so maybe it's not actually translating uh, to revenue? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not users, it's just existing users downloading the app uh possibly possibly yeah it'd be interesting to compare that to the user number data and then also compare that uh to revenue and profits which is what really matters right all right what else you have 
Okay, social, uh, which is, you know, social media. Uh, Facebook, Snap, TikTok, decelerated, although they are all in the top 10 of nominal growth. So they're still, you know, monsters. TikTok, especially. Uh, Twitter actually decelerated, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. But House Party, uh, which I don't really know what that is, uh, Twitch, Spotify, and Pinterest accelerated. Pinterest is looking very interesting. We talk about that with Brian in the interview. Um, we probably have to look into that more. I used it today, actually. Really? Yeah. And you know what? I used it for the exact use case that would make me bullish on it. Like, I was looking, so I saw, I know this is going to make me sound like such a consumer, but, uh, you know, you're, yeah, you can't consumer. be a consumer. So I saw on a Netflix show an outfit that I liked. So I looked up the actor or the character in the Netflix and I looked what up show? outfits, Outer Banks. It's a new one. Mm, is it good? I saw it. I really liked it, but it mm. might not be your thing. Um, and so I looked up the character or the, that he plays and I said outfits and it came up with like a bunch of links to Amazon and different things which is exactly what I was looking for. I don't know. That's I'm 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 getting anecdotally bullish. Yeah. Yeah. Got to look at the financials though, but yeah, it, actually this is a preview to the interview we talk about that with Brian who is a big fan of Pinterest. Right. I'll go to the next one here though. Entertainment, Roku, YouTube were flat. Uh, you know, as you though, you know, YouTube still is getting tremendous growth nominally since they have over 2 billion users. Disney Plus actually decelerated, still saw some strong growth in downloads, and then Netflix and Amazon Video accelerated in April compared to March. So it looks like Disney Plus had a very strong March, but April was kind of, you know, for Netflix and Amazon Video. Okay, so I have, first of all, going back to the social, House Party is like basically just massive FaceTime, like uh. Which whatever, and I don't think it's a great product. But anyway, it makes you feel a little old. It's for like teenage. Is that's what teenagers are using right now? It was big in high school. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Okay. On the entertainment side, I have another thesis that the Roku app is going to become increasingly like useless because they're starting to add like the Roku speakers where you can voice activate everything, and there's a whole bunch of functionality around it, and it's the whole point of the app was basically it was a remote. So mm -hmm. I don't see why that would increase over time. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, yeah, I, they, they could probably get some solid momentum uh, with voice activated stuff. That could be a use case. I'm kind of a bear on uh, the use of, you know, the voice stuff like Alexa. Uh, but I, I think that actually would be a nice little thing to use. I have an idea for Roku and if, if Anthony Wood picks this up, I deserve credit. So, okay. Um, a search bar on the home screen in which you can look up like a movie and it will take you to the app where the movie is in. Oh, yep, yep. So make it more search engine like. Yeah, because you always do that. I go to Google and I look where is something streaming. Yeah, that right. is a good idea. And then people could, um, I don't know. I think that they'd be able to monetize that as well. I mean, then if it's on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, it'll just take you right there. That would be perfect. Yeah, and then those way smaller ones where you like find that that one time. Uh, yeah, that's that's that is a good idea. All right, I'll get to the next one. Delivery, uh, Uber Eats was flat. DoorDash and Instacart was strong acceleration. Don't really know what to say there because I think all those businesses are pretty poor. Uh, but it's interesting to see DoorDash versus Uber Eats, um, the growth there. Yeah, I don't like any of those business models, but. 
I would see how there could be acceleration right now. I uh, another anecdote here on my apartment door, I got like a random thing that was like a local food delivery startup and they're like $15 yeah. free. I'm like, all right, the hype needs to come down with this. Yeah, the it's really easy to start one of these things and then it's whoever just pours in the most capital is going to win and it doesn't mean the business models are actually good. Uh, but we've gone over that a lot. It's, it's just the business, uh, the unit economics just don't work. Um, yeah, that's, that's really all there is to say about those businesses. Next one. Yeah. Uh, fitness and health, Peloton and Nike Run uh, had strong acceleration. So Peloton, as we talked about last week, is, it's doing really well. And then Teladoc had slight acceleration, not as much as you might think, although I don't know if that translates really to revenue. And a lot of times people probably use their computer because uh, it's like through their insurance provider and you're not really talking to a doctor on a phone um, since it's more professional, although it is a little concerning to see that. Yeah, that definitely feels like it's a rare enough occasion that it should be done on a desktop, like on a computer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then as far as the fitness and health apps, I'm not surprised on Peloton. And I downloaded the whatever Track My Run app. Like, I'm sure a lot of people are in the same boat. Yeah, that's the Under Armour competitor, but... Yeah, the Nike one. Yeah, similar. Everyone's trying to do running outside and stuff like that because they can't go to the gym. All right, last one here, travel, easy. Everything was down like 50%. Uh, you know, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, everything's getting crushed. Priceline was getting crushed. Uh, even VRBO. I mean, it's just going to be bad for them. I mean, they're not losing users uh, right now, but the growth has just totally stalled. And a lot of those companies are relying on the growth story to succeed. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, it it's gonna harm Airbnb a lot. I actually just re uh, re upped my Airbnb. Interesting note. Yeah, so, for your uh, you know spoiler uh, Motley Fool internship. Right. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but yeah, uh, Motley Fool internship and full disclosure. You know. Yeah. Right. Uh, transparency. Radical transparency. Thank you, Ray Dalio. Um, <laughs> You're right. Exactly. I, so I had to cancel or whatever, because I thought it was, you know, not going to be able to do it for any reason. I'm not going to get into the details, but I had to cancel, canceled. And then all the prices came down. Turns out I'm going back. All the prices came down, got the full refund. And now I'm getting a cheaper one. Nice. Nice. So the prices are really low right now. Yeah. It wasn't for all the places, but most of them have dropped prices. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's basic supply and demand right there. That's what Airbnb has created. All right, last one, top 10 monthly downloads, and this is in order. Number one, Zoom, then TikTok, WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook Messenger. Really strong uh, from Facebook like they always are. And then Google Hangouts, Netflix, Microsoft Teams, and then Snapchat. Hmm. Any surprises? Mm. Look... Mm. Maybe WhatsApp. I guess I don't know the I don't know the international growth. Google Hangouts, I guess, is a surprise. Yeah, that's the. Uh, it's like the one that competes with Zoom. They're kind of the second rate one. Skype's just done, I guess. They're just they're probably gonna close it at some point. Facebook always surprises me. They're so strong. I don't know. It's just every country. I don't uh, know anyone that still uses that app. At least my age. Yeah, but you're. 
Yeah, it's but it's it's just demographic. Internationally, people still are using Facebook so much. Yeah. All right. Well, and and uh, I guess people over 35, 40 ish, and that there's still a ton of those people out there. So. Oh, uh, and I feel like this has been filled with anecdotes. You talked about Snapchat being on there. Their mm-hmm. ads have gotten. You know when you kind of when like advertisements take that leap where you're kind of like, all right, this is way too personal. How do you know that? It's taken that leap for me. That's good. Well, it's good for the business. Yeah. Twitter's gotten a little better. They're recommending investing topics to me now, although they did recommend Ethereum to I follow. Gotten, I've gotten the most random Twitter ads. Like, yeah. not fit into anything I would like have even searched. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, there's a spider. Sorry. Okay. Uh, there's, yeah. And Twitter, you, you're a big advocate for the subscription, right? Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I'd pay five bucks a month, seven bucks a month for Twitter, but I don't know how many they'd lose, those monetizable daily active users. Yeah, I did a poll, and I think it was like 52% would be willing to pay more than $3 a month, three or more. So Interesting. But yeah. Um, okay, current state of FinTwit. I think we have to talk about it, right? <laughs> yeah, I. that's... Uh... Elon's tweet storm. Yeah, I called it the Twitter meltdown. Uh, I don't know if it was a meltdown, but it was. It really made Friday morning. It was exciting. There's no way. Who, he was high. He had to be high. Yeah, well, he tweeted he was getting rid of all his possessions, so I thought he probably took a bunch of acid and watched a minim, minimalist documentary. Okay, and then Ross Gerber like, tweeted out, tweeted defending him he was like like oh guys come on he's sleep deprived it's Elon. oh yeah you know like we like it's fine he's sleep deprived who cares dude i you're like oh he was tired it's fine that he's like selling everything and like going insane like that is no excuse could you imagine if bob Iger was like oh i'm tired if anyone still too high that would be he'd get fired immediately yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, it's technically not securities fraud because, like, whatever, it's just his opinion. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it is. It's wild. Um, and interestingly, uh, he is eligible today for his billion-dollar stock-based compensation payday. So, congrats to all the shareholders on their share delusion. Um, that is coming down the line. Yeah, not even dilution. It's delusion. Delusion. Uh, share delusion. Okay, and then also, how how can any fiduciary responsibly or even reasonably explain owning this now? Oh uh, yeah. Any price that's above what he said was too high, because the, like the plurality shareholder or like the the guy that owns most of the company literally says you shouldn't own it yeah i mean it's bad if the people that's uh bought stock at 767 dollars a share in february when they sold 2.3 billion dollars worth are probably feeling pretty shitty right now um and are i'm guessing not very happy although the stock did recover as we're recording and it could easily be above 800 dollars a share on tuesday so that could not really matter uh but i would be concerned if my uh you know, a growth company CEO was doing anything like that. I think this is 
one of hundreds, not even exaggerating, hundreds of giant red flags with the company. Um, but whatever, I think it's just going to be exciting to watch how this thing ends uh, because it will end in it will be glorious. It'll be something just I don't the even know. It's going to be incredible. Oh, it's, yeah, it'll be one of the best ever. The, okay. They'll call it the Last Dance too. Also, did you see that Mike Tyson video of him at like 53? It went viral, him like punching that guy? I did not. Okay, well, wh- whatever. It was incredibly frightening. He, he still got it, if anyone was curious. And so my question <laughs> yeah. to you was, uh, would you rather stand in the ring and fight Mike Tyson at 53 years old for a minute or invest your entire life's income in Tesla shares? Mm, I think if I was worth more than a million dollars, I would go with the Tyson, but less than a million dollars or a lot less, which is what I'm at right now, I'll go with uh, Tesla. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for current state of FinTwit, right? Yeah, that's all I had. Next, we have our interview with Brian Feroldi. So what did you like about the interview? Uh, like I said before, love talking about Pinterest, uh, and he is a great growth investor, one of the best out there, very Motley Fool-esque, but, you know, that's his style, uh, but if you're into that type of stuff, or even if you're not, it's, a, you know, I don't know, what the stuff he focuses on and the way he does his ratings is a great perspective to have, even if it's not the, exactly the way that you invest. Yeah, he's got a good checklist, and I think everyone should kind of develop a checklist that there's definitely some ideas you could steal from him um, as far as adding that to your own checklist. Um, and then he's also doing some work, some ground level work with financial education, which he talks about, which is really interesting. And I love to uh, love to hear about that as well. Okay, today we are welcomed by Brian Feroldi from The Motley Fool, and we're really happy to have you on, Brian. Welcome to the show. Brian, Brett, awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. So why don't you just start by telling us how you joined The Motley Fool? Sure. Um, when I, I graduated in college in 2004, and my dad, when I graduated, gave me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, and I just devoured that book. It was the first time I ever heard of the concept of investing and you can use your money to make more money and the concept of like uh, financial independence, et cetera, et cetera. So I just started devouring everything that I could find on uh, f- finance, uh, personal finance, money, et cetera. Uh, and that led me to fool.com. 
and I became a casual reader, then a really heavy reader. Uh, I became a subscriber to the services in 2009, and I spent so much time on there that uh, I made the leap to uh, becoming a writer for them about five years ago. Interesting. And we're going to talk about some of, we're going to talk about two companies, Semler and Pinterest, for just so all the listeners know. But before we get to that, we want to talk about the investment process that you go through. And also, um, you've been doing some interesting work as far as financial education goes. Do you want to kind of tell us about that? What's this project you're doing with the, uh, the kids at the schools? So uh, I have three children. They are in elementary school. And um, last year, I asked uh, one of my te- uh, my children's teacher, my oldest was in third grade, if I could come in and teach them a little bit about the stock market. And she was intrigued. So she let me come in and I just made a fun presentation, just trying to make it as fun as I could. Um, so I called it how, how, uh, how pizza uh, video games and streaming movies can make you rich. Um, and I just went in there and introduced the concept of them to, to them that you can actually become a part owner in some of the companies that you love, uh, made a very quick uh, talk to them about what is a business, uh, what is a stock, what is profit, how does profit relate to the business, and then at the end um, gave them 25 companies that they could pick from, and I tracked how they did for a couple of months. Oh. Well, when I was doing that, one of the other teachers overheard me doing that, and she asked me if I could do that for her class. Uh, and then I did it to another class, and then I did it to three more classes. And last year, uh, this year, at the beginning of the year, I did it for 12 classes. Um, so it's, uh, it's so fun uh, to do because you're talking to them about video games and what do you like better, Disney Plus or Netflix? And they are just so engaged. And it's just such a great way to get kids interested uh, in introduce them to the concept of business and money. Do you have any plans as far as where you want to go from there? I know you said you're, you're, you're tracking the performance of those stocks, but do you have any other ways you want to do that? Yeah, my hope is to actually track follow those kids through their entire careers in, in my local school system and show them the power of, well, remember these stocks you picked in third grade? Let's check in how they're doing now, two, three, four, five years later, and show them how businesses build value uh, over time. So that, that's my plan, but I've also uh, reached out to the middle schools, to the high school, uh, to my local university, et cetera. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing hard to, to make this, um, to, to push this education as far as I can. Wow. And you've had a lot of experience then with teaching um, to these younger children. Uh, What do you think the best way is to introduce people to investing? Is it like this going very simple or is it personal finance? What is it? I'm a big believer. It depends on the the person, right? Uh, If it's an adult, uh, personal finance is, I don't know, a hundred times more important than teaching them about what is a stock and how does a stock market uh, work. For most people, just getting your personal finances in order is a, is a, foreign, is a foreign concept. People are just not taught anything about uh, money, about cash, about debt, uh, about uh, what to do. Uh, so I think learning about that is incredibly important, but a big part of that is learning about what to do with excess money uh, once you have it, and how to think about saving and investing uh, for your future. And the first time you show somebody a compound interest chart and what can happen with a little bit of money uh, over time, uh, hopefully their eyes light up and realize, whoa, you mean I can have hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars later in my life if I just save 
a couple hundred dollars a month. Uh, some people get really excited about that. Yeah, and that's when you know that they may be another uh, like uh, fan of investing. Um, we'll transition now into your investing process, which is very interesting. It's a unique one. You have a 1 through 100 scoring system for businesses. What is the highest score you've ever given to a business? And I guess you can say what it is maybe, but why would that be the highest score? Yeah, so I guess we should back up a little bit. So um, I've had, I'd have full access to every single Motley Fool recommendation uh, for years. And the wonderful thing about the Motley Fool is they have lots of recommendations. Uh, the bad thing is they have lots of recommendations. Uh, so it's, it's a real, it was such a huge challenge for me to keep all the factors, uh, going in my mind about what I was looking for in a business, right? Right. I was like, uh, before I had a system, I was just like, well, this company has really fast growth, great margins, huge opportunity, but I don't like its management team. Uh, this one over here is growing slower, but I love its management team. Uh, this one has a huge total addressable market, whereas this one's already the market leader in a big, in a big market. So I didn't have a good system in place for kind of categorizing the, the investment features that I desired the most. Um, so I decided to kind of build uh, a checklist uh, from scratch. And I, I've, been, I've been posting this out to the world uh, specifically so that I could get feedback on it. And I've gotten wonderful feedback uh, from readers saying, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And it's been so helpful uh, to read that from other people. Uh, but the, the version that exists today uh, is a scoring system that it goes from negative uh, 44 is the worst score you oh, could get okay. up to 100. Uh, so 100 would be a, a perfect score. And it, and, it, and it tries to weigh um, things, that, business attributes that I like, uh, such as a very strong balance sheet. Uh, I like fast growth. I like uh, profits, free cash flow. Uh, I like a wide moat. I like companies with optionality, uh, multiple futures. Uh, I like them to have operating leverage ahead of them. I want their customers to come to them. Uh, I want recurring revenue, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so by going through this process with all the companies that I'm interested in and own, it helps me come up with a quality score. And in general, the higher, the, the, high, the companies that, that do the best on this, I just ask myself, well, why don't I own them? If they, right. if they score so well on everything, why don't I own them? So that's, that's why the process is, and uh, it helps me make decisions about which companies I want to buy and which companies I want to avoid. What is, uh, what's the highest score you've ever given a business? So the highest score, again, this is out of, uh, to, of 100. Uh, the highest score I've ever seen is an 88 out of 100. Uh, so to me, that's, like, that's as close to a perfect score as you're going to get. Uh, and that's a little company called Facebook. Uh, you might have heard of them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Facebook is the, yeah, is, is the best scoring company that I've come across, uh, so far. There's, there's some other ones that I'm sure you're familiar with that have also scored very well. Uh, Google is the second highest, uh, at an 87. Uh, and then there's like Adobe systems, 86, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, those are, those are some of the, the highest scores I've ever seen. And in general, when I get a score of 80 or higher, I get very interested. Have you ever owned any business where it didn't score that well for you when you go through your checklist? And if you did, why was that? And then what did you end up, sorry, what did you end up doing? Is that a cause for you to like, do you like sell immediately after that? Or do you just kind of reevaluate what you own? Yeah. So I've only had this system in place for a couple of years and I tend to buy and then, and then hold for a long period of time. Um, and the thing I like about this is had I been using it from day one, this would this system would have caught a whole bunch of losers 
like uh, ahead of time, uh, and I would just would never have have purchased them. Uh, but the lowest scoring stock on my list that I own is Tesla. Tesla gets a fifty-seven out of again a hundred, or at least you know I th I typically would wouldn't add new money to a company unless it was above seventy. And mm -hmm. this system is by no means perfect, not by a long shot. It's not going to find uh, companies that have a hundred x potential. It is designed to lower my risk as much as I possibly can. So oh. Tesla is kind of a super weird company on so many fronts. Um, and I have no plans to, to sell Tesla, but because it gets such a low score, I know, I knew this already, but I just knew that it is a very high risk company. And it is one that I do not have as much confidence in as I do with companies that get higher scores. Right. That's an interesting way to go about it. Um, is, yeah. there, is there any part of your checklist that you're willing to kind of overlook if management is stellar? Like, let's say you, like, you really love a business, but it doesn't check certain boxes for you. Are there parts that you're willing to overlook? Yeah, so the, the system is designed to weigh attributes according to how much I value them. Okay. Uh, so the three attributes that I value the most, uh, number one would be the moat. Uh, number two would be the potential. And number three would be the current financial statements. Uh, so if a company had those three things in spades, but it had a low inside ownership or kind of uh, or low glass door ratings, uh, those things would lower its score, but it wouldn't it wouldn't knock it out of contention. For example, if a company had a really bad uh, glass door reviews and low inside ownership, it probably would score at a maximum the low 80s. Um, but it wouldn't be, it would, would not, would not be a, a top scorer for me. Now that, now that checklist does a comprehensive job of evaluating the quality of the business, but when it comes to valuation, how do you weigh that? Um, are you willing to buy quality businesses because of your time horizon? Um, or there's, are there certain valuations where you just can't get, wrap your head around them? Yeah. So the, I use the quality system. It's just that it's just quality. It speaks nothing about valuation. It speaks nothing about uh, anything else. Not, not is this company a buy right now? It is just how high quality of a business uh, is this? And then I rank companies according to their quality. Then I do some very broad, very broad, um, very, very loose valuation, um, valuation uh, analysis of a company. Um, and in general, the smaller the company is, when compared to its opportunity, the more willing I am to pay a very high valuation premium for it. Conversely, the bigger a company is compared, if a company is starting to bump up on the end of its growth trajectory, I become far more price sensitive. Um, so if a company was, let's say a company um, was like a $250 million market cap, and I could, I could see it one day growing into a $25 billion business, I'm just going to buy. Like right. I'm just going to flat out buy because I literally think it could be a hundred bagger. And the valuation I pay today is insignificant compared to what it could be. If a company is worth 50 billion today and I could see it being a hundred billion dollar business one day, uh, I would be far more price sensitive. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I guess that tails into our next question here. How much do you worry about the law of large numbers? I know a lot of people talk about that with big tech whether they have enough room to grow, you know, two, three X more from here. Uh, how much do you worry about that when it comes to a new potential investment or for stuff that you're already holding? 
Yes, I know what you're getting at. I prefer the term mega cap multiplier obstacle, uh, right. which means like when a company is like take Microsoft. Microsoft is a tr- 1.3 trillion dollar company, and it's very natural to ask, how big can this company get? That is already so huge. To to double, it has to be a 2.7 uh, trillion dollar company, and that's just such a mind-boggling big big number. Um, I've, 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 I'm on both sides about this. On the one side, I totally see that that number is absurd <laughs> at so many levels. On the flip side, Microsoft is expected to grow its revenue 12% this year. And it's expected to grow its revenue another 11% next year. Those are very strong growth rates for a company of, of this size. Or take Amazon. Amazon's another trillion-dollar company. It's expected to grow its revenue 20% this year and 17% next year. Those are extremely uh, strong uh, growth rates uh, in general, let alone for the, for the size uh, of the company. Now, conversely, if you take a look at a company like Apple, uh, Apple is growing at a much slower rate. So while it's, it's huge, uh, its its growth rate is is much slower. So I try and focus on the growth potential of the business as opposed to the absolute raw size of it. Um, Because there are businesses that could be worth $500 million and have no growth. And there can be Microsoft, which is 1.3 trillion and is still growing. So I'm more focused on the how much growth is left as opposed to the absolute size of the business. Okay, let's uh, pivot into some stocks specifically. Um, The first one we have here is Semler. Why don't you speak to the the bull case broadly for Semler? What do they do for anyone that doesn't know? And then why do you like them? And so, and that is Semler Scientific. Semler Scientific. If anyone's interested. Yeah. So Semler Scientific is a company that fascinates me. Uh, the ticker symbol there is um, SMLR. And Semler has developed a product called Quantiflow, which helps to diagnose uh, peripheral artery disease. So uh, one of the biggest killers Uh, in general, heart attacks, strokes, uh, is caused by uh, the arteries hardening and preventing blood uh, from flowing to them. Uh, Currently, there's no easy way to screen patients for peripheral artery disease. So what Semler has done is they developed a little clip that goes on your finger and uh, your toes. And within five minutes, um, this device measures the blood flow to your extremities. So how much blood is flowing uh, to your hands uh, and to your feet? And within five minutes, uh, you get a printout of a report that shows exactly how much blood is flowing to those. And if you, if the physician was noticing that blood flow is extremely low to one of the limbs, that could be an indication that the patient has peripheral artery disease and action needs to be taken, maybe surgery, uh, maybe drugs. So the question is, well, what's that information worth? Uh, I think that's extremely valuable uh, information to have. And Semler is the first and only company that provides this uh, five-minute test. Now, what attracts me to Semler is, first off, it's the only company doing what it's doing. Uh, but more important than that is its business model. The company is doesn't really care about the sales of the actual clip itself. It's focused on the software. So it's selling the software to actually make those reports. Uh, so because of that, this company has fabulous margins, fabulous. Uh, gross margin 
is is 90%. So last year they did 33 million in revenue and 29 million of that was gross profit. Uh, that's outstanding. Uh, and this company is actually already profitable. That's even though they're only doing 33 million in sales, uh, they are converting a significant chunk of that money uh, into profits. Now they believe that they have an enormous growth runway ahead of them uh, because they're only in uh, uh, very few clinics. But in theory, this technology could be used by every doctor in the world. Uh, basically, obviously, that would be extreme pie in the sky uh, thinking. But uh, when I when you combine all those attributes together, uh, Semler is a company that absolutely has my attention, and I I have taken a a very very small position in this company. And you said right now they're only really in a few clinics. Um, and a lot of the concerns that I've seen with Semler is around the customer concentration. And I know that on your checklist, you said something you kind of watch out for is heavy customer concentration. Why do you see Semler as an exception? And then how can having heavy customer concentration hurt a business? Yeah, so I don't see Semler as an exception. Uh, one of the things that I, after I score a business, I run it through kind of a, a, a something I call the gauntlet, which is when I subtract points for things that really concern me. And one of the things that really concerns me is customer concentration. Uh, if a company has severe customer concentration, that means that a huge portion of their sales come from just a few customers. And that makes a business fragile because if it was to lose one of those customers, then they lose out on a whole lot of revenue very quickly. And the thesis for owning the stock really gets uh, gets hurt. So I subtract a maximum of five points uh, for companies that have very high customer concentration ratios. So I have done that for Semler. Uh, the, the point was that's not enough to make this company uninvestable uh, on its own. Now, there could be a very legitimate argument that I'm not detracting enough given how extreme uh, Semler's customer concentration is. I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but I believe that like three of their customers are something like 80% of revenue I think or somewhere was, around there. I think it was, set, yeah, three make up 70% of the top line. Yeah, that's huge. If, if, it lost, if it lost its number one customer, its, its sales would drop almost by half. Uh, that's extremely, extremely risky. Uh, so that's, people need to know that uh, ahead of time. Uh, however, customer concentration is a risk that can decline over time. If Semler is successful in adding new customers every year and diversifying its revenue base, uh, that, that concentration should be diluted away over time. And if they're successful five years from now, let's just say, um, I'm hopeful that none of their customers make up more than 10% of revenue. Uh, so the way that, so I, I ding companies that have high customer concentration, uh, but to me, uh, the potential upside of Semler is worth that risk, given that this is a, a very, very small uh, holding for me. It's sub 1%. Right. Okay. Okay. And then one question. We, we're both fans of Semler Scientific. Uh, we've looked into the stock as well. Uh, if a business were trying to compete with them and try to build a competing product, is there a difficult regulatory process for that? Or could someone, or is it more of a technology based where Semler just has the better, uh, you know, no one can come up with their technology to compete with them? Yeah, I'm not. Sh I don't think the barriers would be uh, all that high, but Semler has is the only one doing what it's doing uh, right now, and they're the only ones that are attacking uh, the market in this way uh, for right now. I don't think the if somebody got serious about it, I don't think it would be all that hard uh, to eventually compete against them. Uh, but 
the company has no direct competition at this time. If they grow and are successful, the odds are pretty good that they could have uh, competition at, the, uh, uh, at, a, at a later date. Okay. Another stock that you've talked a lot about is Pinterest, which has kind of caught both of our eyes. Um, and it's an interesting business. I think they went public within the last year. Or a year and a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, so why don't you talk about what Pinterest is for anyone that doesn't know and kind of just the bull case broadly. Sure. Uh, so Pinterest is commonly confused as a social media uh, network akin to like a, a uh, Facebook or uh, Instagram. I think that's an incorrect uh, view of them. Pinterest calls itself a visual search engine. And that's how I, I think that that's actually a, a better uh, way to think about this company. Think of them like Google, like the way that you would use Google, except for images. So you go to Pinterest, people create a, a Pinterest board and they type in things that, that interest them. For example, uh, if you were about to redecorate your kitchen, you would type in kitchen ideas and what would come up? Uh, pictures of different types of cabinets, different washing machines, different, different layouts uh, that other people have done. And it's, it's, it's something for discovering uh, ideas. And, and what they like to say is that Pinterest is for people that don't have the words to express what they want but they know it when they see it. So when you see an image that really sparks an interest in you, uh, you can save it and you can pin it to your board. And that's a very natural progression to go from, okay, here's an image that I like, and then taking action uh, on that. People go to Pinterest because they're looking for images that inspire them to take action uh, in, in their life. To me, that is a very monetizable uh, platform because if I was an advertiser, I could put an image on Pinterest and if somebody liked it, well, then that takes them right to my website to buy it. That's a very natural progression. If you compare that to say Twitter, which I know we're big, both big fans of, why do we go to Twitter? We go to Twitter to communicate. We want to talk and connect with other people. When I go to Twitter uh, and I see my feed, ads are a distraction. Ads detract from the experience. When you go to Pinterest, Ads are part of the experience. That's actually something that people go there to see. It's like looking at a uh, circular uh, that, that, that comes in the mail. People are looking for them uh, for, for ideas. Uh, so to me, the bull case for owning Pinterest is that a metric called average revenue per user, also called ARPU, uh, at Pinterest right now is very, very low. I think in the last quarter, it was about a dollar. Uh, in the U.S. and, a few, and about 15 cents uh, worldwide. Uh, for comparison, uh, Facebook was somewhere in the teens and even Twitter was at about six or seven dollars. So Twitter users are monetized currently about six times higher uh, rate than Pinterest. Now, why is that? Twitter users are monetized because Twitter has been monetizing them for longer. Pinterest only recently started to turn on the monetization uh, engine. Now that number is growing very quickly, but I believe I could very I believe that ultimately Pinterest's average revenue per user will be much higher. And at the same time, the number of people that are using Pinterest is also growing faster uh, than Facebook uh, and uh, Twitter and uh, Snapchat. Uh, are on a percentage basis. So when I see high user growth and the potential for average revenue per user expansion, I get excited about Pinterest's future. Right. And we were, I guess we were about to ask about the, the ARPU number, uh, but I guess I'll talk about profitability. How do you see them getting to profitability? Because they're not, uh, they're are unprofitable right now. And how many users do you think they have? What is the upper limit? Are they getting close to saturation yet? Or is it going to come 
is the growth going to come from their average revenue per user? Yeah, I think at last count, they had something like 350 million uh, users for comparison. I think Facebook is around 2.5 billion. Um, and 80% or so of Pinterest users are in international uh, markets. So their growth rates in the US are slowing. Uh, they're single digit, um, they're single digit off of a much higher, uh, off of a pretty high base. Um, but Pinterest is not yet uh, crossed into profitability, um, at least especially on a net, uh, gap basis because they do have very high stock-based compensation. Um, but they are getting close. Uh, the analysts actually expect uh, Pinterest to, to post a very minor uh, non-gap net loss in 2020, and they expect on a non-gap basis, the company to become profitable uh, in 2021. Uh, usually companies like this have uh, reached cash flow uh, profit profitability uh, before they reach non-gap profitability. So Pinterest is is to me it's right on the line. Uh, but if the company can grow its top line at a very quick rate uh, for the next ten years, like I expect it to, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that by 2030 this company will be insanely profitable. Who do you see as most of their main competitors? Is it mostly Instagram right now? I, I know a lot of people maybe go there for inspiration or advertisers probably flock to Instagram because of the uh, customer base. What Are there any other ones? Yeah, I'm I'm fa Facebook, Google, uh, those are their biggest competitors uh, by far. Uh, to me, uh, to me, the thing that separates Pinterest from, from those platforms is uh, there's a lot of negativity uh, associated with Facebook, uh, with Twitter, uh, with Snapchat. Uh, there's not any negative, there's far less negativity associated with, uh, with companies like uh, Pinterest, because again, it's an idea, it's an inspiration uh, machine. You don't go there to communicate with others or to like spread hate speech or those kind of things. You literally go there to see images. If I was a brand and my image mattered to me, I would be very interested in, in, in advertising on Pinterest, uh, much more so than I would be in advertising uh, on other platforms. Is that a durable competitive advantage? I don't know. Uh, I think it could be. Uh, but to me, that, that is the company's advantage right now. So you said they make uh, their money through advertisements right now. Can you see them evolving into more of the e-commerce space moving forward, maybe launching something that competes kind of with Shopify so that those, maybe those advertisers could build websites or uh, you know, a place to shop on Pinterest's site? Is that a possibility in the future? Sure, it's a possibility. I mean, uh, you could see them kind of almost becoming an Etsy, an Etsy store of sorts, where you, right. where people would post their own, their own wares, post images, and 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 possibly do commerce that way. Yeah, absolutely, that's a possibility. That that I, I, that's one reason why I like investing in companies like Pinterest is. I don't know what the future holds, but with 350 million users, if they were to launch another business that was uh, successful, boy, could that be profitable for them. And yeah, it'd be easy, especially with these platform businesses, it's really easy to just, you know, advertising or whatever, but you just launch it and all the users that are going on a daily or a weekly basis are going to see these new products. Um, I guess that's the way they give them optionality, but we'll get to the wrap up questions here. These are the questions we ask all our interviewees. First one is, what is one financial saying that you disagree with? Uh, buy low, sell high. <laughs> that seems to be the Molly Fool one, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole idea that you buy something low and then just later sell it high, um, th th I understand why that saying came to be, but t if I was to replace that, I would say uh, buy and hold. That's a much yeah. more, pro buy greatness and hold greatness. That, that's a much better way to invest. 
Yeah, and the timing aspect is so hard. Rarely executable. Um, Last question here. What is one piece of advice that you have for any new investors? Yeah, if you're new, if you are just getting into uh, investing, there's no, there's no, nothing wrong with uh, just going the index route uh, at the beginning as you're starting to build out your knowledge base. So have the ma- the majority of your money, your investment money, uh, in index funds, and then if if ind- is buying individual stocks interests you, slowly layer in companies that excite you over the long term as your knowledge base uh, starts to grow. But I just love the idea of starting at 100% index. And that way, if you buy, if you only know and buy one company, you are still extremely well uh, diversified. Uh, so that's what I would suggest. Okay. Um, that's all the questions we have. Thank you for coming on to the show, Brian. Great to be here. All right, welcome back in. Thank you once again to Brian Feroldi for coming on the show. Really enjoyed it. But next we have our hot water. What do you have? Uh, Robinhood users, as always, they're in hot water every week. If you go on Robin Track, you can see how just relentless they buy the dip, as uh, Hipster Trader was saying. But they were absolutely piling into airlines. And then Buffett this weekend said that they sold their entire stake even at you know upwards of a 20 or 30 or even 40% loss for Berkshire Hathaway. And I the stocks puked today. And the total number of users that own airlines on Robinhood is still skyrocketing. So they are BTFDing uh, just amazingly hard. Yeah. You know, and talking about the whole Buffett selling airlines thing, I was going to tweet this out, but it's a... Uh, Dan McMurtry on some interview talked about being contrarian like in terms of magnitude versus instead of like directionally so i was thinking about this he that's basically buffett by selling all his airline shares because a lot of people were bearish on the airlines but they're like all right screw it i'm late i'm just gonna hold it he yeah and yeah yeah you can't get into that mindset where if something drops 50 percent and it's still not good at that drop of 50 percent you should still sell um, and put your money in a better place if the business you still think can outperform the market or be a solid investment then keep it but it it doesn't matter where the price was at all exactly all right what else do you have okay well math i guess math in general is in hot water this isn't very investment related but nick majuli uh at dollars and data on twitter he had a tweet where he stumbled upon anti-math Twitter, and it is quite something. Uh, they had this whole thing. It was about, there's like a viral tweet of someone saying something about 8 times 7 equaling 56 doesn't sit right with me. It's kind of, you know, whatever. They're just saying something. But then this one person responded and said, it's just like this, I don't even know. It's like a PSA. Stop doing math bullet points. Numbers were not supposed to be given names discrimination i guess years of counting yet no real world use for going higher than your fingers i i can think of a few next bullet point uh, i will just this would be the last one because it's a little long wanted to go higher anyway for a laugh we had a tool for that it was called guessing i i don't know what these people are but they're out there and they are voting in our general elections i I didn't know there was anyone out there that, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they've had a few failed math classes or something, but I never developed like a hatred for the 
actual counting part. Oh yeah, almost ten thousand likes on this reply. Uh, so it's <laughs> it's something. It it is. I don't even know. All right, next one is the Financial Times because for some reason they allowed this absolutely terrible chart crime to be put in their newspaper, which is like the Wall Street Journal of Europe. I, it was just so surprising it was in there. It was this guy overlapping the 1920s and the last decade, and there wasn't even any correlation. It just kind of moved up, and then there was a dip, and he was like showing the Great Depression for the next few years. It's like, this is where things could head, but it didn't even match up that well. And plus, even if it does match up, those things are always bullshit. I do not know how uh, the Financial Times posted that. Yeah, it's a bad look for them. I didn't see it, but it sounds... Sounds bad. Yeah, it, that was wild seeing that. All right, who's in, um, the next hot water is me for trashing Boeing because they did not take government money. Um, instead, well, technically the Fed is backstopping all the loans, so they're inadvertently taking government money, but they didn't take a direct bailout. But they instead took a wild three to 40-year bond ladder. So they sold $25 billion worth of bonds, some expiring 40 years from now in 2060, some expiring three years from now, obviously with different rates, higher rates for longer term uh, stuff. But props to them for not taking like $50 billion in taxpayer money. Um, but yeah, it's interesting I mean, to see what's going to happen with them. I guess that's a better look than a straight bailout, but 2060? Oops. Like, you see the hipster trader tweet? It was like, people are going to be paying a billion dollars for coffee in 2060. Like, yeah. Hyperinflation bros. They're, uh, who's, who's making investments, like bets, 40 years out? Yeah, I know. Disney always sells like 25-year bonds. Apple does the same thing. I mean, I don't know. It's wild. Interesting. All right. Any other ones? Yeah, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, because the Fed stole all of their deals, they said during the meeting, or I guess Buffett said during the meeting, that when in late March, when things were crashing in the market, they were getting some calls, uh, but they couldn't compete with what the Fed was offering uh, terms-wise or the government in general. Uh, so I'm guessing they were talking with the airlines, maybe some of the travel industry, some of the other really hurt ones that were probably looking for some you know, short-term cash and Buffett would have gone for one of those 9% or 10% preferred equity things that he likes to do or that Berkshire likes to do. It's not just him, but yeah, they kind of got screwed out of there. Uh, but the Fed came in and rescued everything. So yeah, I mean, maybe this liquidity pumps, these, uh, these liquidity pumps are kind of ruining, ruining that margin of safety that value investors look for. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's true. I mean, the distressed debt uh, funds, Berkshire Hathaway, they want times to be, well, they don't want times to be illiquid, but when things are illiquid in general, when things are tightening up throughout the whole market, that is when they are, you know, can do their great deals uh, where they get like stock at a, you know, tremendous price. Uh, and they kind of got that taken, at least for right now. Um, we'll see what happens over the next few years here though. Yeah. All right. Is that it for you? That's it. Okay, so my I only have two. So my first one's sort of a real one. Uber's CTO left this week, which I didn't really look into the details, but that's usually not promising for what is the growing tech company of the future. Yeah, uh, um, lost. They've lost a lot of executives. Um, it's it's a tough. I don't know if anyone can turn that thing around. Yeah, I think Uber's screwed 
I, I really do. And that, that's not that hot of a take, but do you think this is going to allow startups to sort of rethink liquidity positions and then also profitability in general? Eh, I think it's just going to hurt everyone. I, yeah, people, we work kind of was more important from that perspective. Yeah, I guess that's true. Okay. My second one is people in Washington. Um, okay. That's what, us. Yeah. What the hell is up with the murder hornet and what, like, I'm like, I'm not all right with that. That's 20, 2020's kind of sucked. I mean, it's no, like, there's not that many. It'll be all right. Okay. All right. Well, I'm no, look, look, this look evolution will take its course. Uh, I was reading something that the bees in Japan where these other Asian hornets live, they have learned to crush the hornets by like glob, just basically crushing them by using like hundreds of themselves together and then they they shake you know like how they they buzz like a bee and then that heats up the hornet and suffocates it and it kills it so group thinking on the bees hopefully the north american ones learn and uh yeah so wow shout out the bees yeah nature fact of the day there maybe import some some of those japanese or chinese bees Mm. you know get them on, on a quick uh quick trip over here that might help yeah i don't know okay um so yeah i wasn't all right with that the pictures were quite frightening um but that those were my only hot waters fuck Mary kill this week is the food supply chain oh great sell 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 kill 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 i guess one of these might not be a supply chain maybe it ha- maybe it's vertically integrated i guess but um adjacent yeah foods, calivo growers and beyond meat wait sorry say the first one you cut out tyson foods Calvo Growers and Beyond Meat. Oh, Beyond I used to be a fan of Calvo Growers just because I thought there was growth in avocados, and there is, but it was kind of overvalued. Um, I've seen it, though. It's, it's kind of depressed here, and I think there is – I mean, don't you think avocado demand, um, unless something happens with the environment where, you know, agricultural, uh, wherever they grow them, you know, gets hurt, you know, something that is unexpected, don't you think avocado demand will be – sustainable right i mean as someone that likes avocados yeah yeah so it, i think calivo growers is the one you marry here um don't there's like a, it that much either way just because i like digital businesses more they're safer there is um, a group i mean it might be a concentrated group maybe it's it's kind of on like the tomato side there's people that really hate avocados mm, yeah but not everyone has to like it just like not everyone has to go on an app or something like that you yeah, just need to, you know, able to grow. Uh, I guess I'll kill Tyson Foods. Tough business, and I'll I'll fuck Beyond Meat. Uh, just because, who knows? Maybe the whole supply chain gets ruined, and everyone, uh, it starts eating Beyond Burgers. Although I don't expect that to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That that is probably the most bangable opportunity there for those stocks. Calvo Growers is, I guess, is someone. That's probably sustainable, easy to marry. And then Tyson Foods, it doesn't look like things are going well for them at the meat packaging plants. So sucks for them. Okay, anecdotal evidence. Um, you want to go first? Sure. So uh, the news came out, uh, I guess, during that Chicago Bulls documentary that Nike got MJ and they almost didn't get him. Adidas was trying to get him. Uh, and... They missed a big opportunity, obviously. So how much of Nike getting MJ, Michael Jordan, for anyone that doesn't follow basketball, how much of their $100 billion market cap 
did that springboard. Oh, that's tough. What I mean, what kind of position was Nike in before that? Were they still like what? I mean, they were basically all runners with not really much uh, sponsorship for any popular athletes. That, that not that only runner athletes. Forty percent, because it changed the dynamic of Nike. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'd say at least forty percent, because it made sneakers go mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Forty percent or higher. Okay. Um, any others? Oh, that's it for me. Okay. I have one that's kind of timely because I think Chegg reported today and I didn't look at their numbers, but it is finals week for me. So, and obviously all the tests are online now. And so I got to a question today that I was a little hesitant on. And I thought for a second, if my grade was dependent on like my final test, um, humble brag, I guess it wasn't. Um, I, I would not even hesitate to pay $15 a month to get those answers. Uh, yeah. And so but I'm curious with all these tests, all these finals going online, if we will see a massive uptick in Q2 for Chegg. Like yeah, there could be a short-term bad. bump, although I think long-term, it's just a terrible, like, it's not a sustainable business. People are going to start catching on to what it is. I mean, it, yeah, it's a cheating service, but I, the straddles? Q2? That could be interesting. It could be very interesting. Actually, you know what? We've we got to stop gambling. We're done gambling. No, no, we have some gambles on. Uh, and yeah, I'm usually the one that is asking about doing some more gambling. So Yeah, okay. We're not doing that anymore. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, Brian Froldy, for coming on the show once again. Follow us wherever you're listening. Like and review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Give us any show recommendations. Um, our email is chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com. We will definitely do those. We just got one from, I think, we think it was Red Violet, and we published that show, what is it, two days ago at the time of this dropping? Yes. So, yes. Um, yeah, thank you, guys. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or a recommendation. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.